Are you excited? Are you excited? What are you excited about? What's going on at the moment? What time of year is it? Christmas. Who's excited about Christmas? Summer's coming. <laughs> I can't wait. Brilliant. We're on a journey to Christmas, aren't we? So I brought my suitcase. It's a bit battered these days. It's been used a bit. Those Spanish baggage handlers don't exactly look after it, do they? Are we there yet? That's what kids always ask on journeys, isn't it? Normally about five minutes down the road. Are we there yet? Or it's the moment you hit the motorway, I need a wee, isn't it? <laughs> always the way. Are we there yet? Journeys. Who's been on an epic journey? People done epic journeys? Yeah, I've been on an epic journey, yeah. Been on an epic journey once to drop a ring of power into a volcano with some friends. Oh no, hang on, that was Lord of the Rings, wasn't it? That wasn't me. No, that was, that was someone else, wasn't it? That's right. Actually, I have had a bit an epic journey because of a volcano, an actual volcano. Do you remember the one we couldn't pronounce about five years ago with the ash cloud? Do you remember it all kicked off? Some of us got stranded on the other side of Europe. We were in Bulgaria and uh, all ready to come home and the ash cloud kicked off and there were no flights at all and then the airport was racking up with all people waiting to get on flights that they'd already missed and we weren't going to get a flight for two weeks. So long story short, we had to get a coach all the way from Bulgaria, all the way back home and all we wanted to do was get back home. It was Sofia capital to Victoria station and then we had to get a train from there all the way down to Gatwick to get a car where we'd left it at the airport when we first said, oh my life. 48 hours of solid driving. 48 hours, and uh, 11 countries. The thing is, the thing about journeys is it's often all about, especially when it's a bit laborious, it's all about the end destination. I've got to get, I just want to get there. I just want to get home. I just want to get to my end goal, to my journey's end. And actually, I started to spot a few little things along the way and started to enjoy the journey. For a start, we ended up in Serbia, and actually it was quite pretty. I was expecting it not being prejudiced, but I was after the news, I was expecting it to be bomb craters and bullet holes. But actually, it's really, really, it's beautiful. Absolutely gorgeous. I might pop back there again sometime. Really, really nice. But we went through all these countries, and I started getting a bit nervous. Because there were three drivers and a girlfriend. I don't think they shared her. I think she just belonged to one of them. But the three drivers, and they were just taking it in turns to, to drive or rest and have a chat with the girlfriend and the other driver, or the third one would be sleeping on the back seat behind us. And uh, I thought they were professionals at first. Um, however, I started to get a bit suspicious when... Uh, well, for starters, every time we went into another country, they all seemed to buy a souvenir, which kind of get, gave me pause for thinking, uh, hang on a minute, they've not done this before. They're getting quite excited about their little holiday. And then uh, I, I, won't mention, I won't mention the kids' video they put on for the kids. I was telling Mary about that last night. It wasn't for kids at all. We had to keep Amy distracted looking out the window because there's some filthy stuff going on the telly. Thanks for that. And when I try and explain it to them, this probably isn't appropriate for our five-year-old. That was when they couldn't speak English. Very strange. And then, then you, uh, oh, we, we finally stop at some services and we're all starving and we all pile off and go, how long have we got? And they go, 10 minutes. So, okay. Enough for a sandwich and pop to the loo. So 40 of us all pile up to buy some sandwiches and pop to the loo. We all make it back within 10 minutes to the coach to then can't find the three drivers and the girlfriend. Where are they? We can see them in a window in a restaurant and their hot food and their beers are turning up. 
So I don't know what's going on there. Then another time, we're all busting for the toilet. They pull into a garage and thinking, oh, I might just ask them. One of them runs out, runs back in again. We drive off again. We go, what was that all about? Oh, we needed the toilet. 45 of us are like, hello. <laughs> it gets worse when there was a girl with a laptop and she had mobile phone access, internet access on her laptop. They had to borrow it to have a look at Google Maps to check we were going the right way. <coughs> we finally made it to France and we end up in Dunkirk. We go round Dunkirk about three times, I think. Round and round and round. I think they were just trying to create this slingshot manoeuvre to kind of get us out of Dunkirk. I'm not quite sure what they were doing. Eventually, this is the best bit, we get to Calais. We've made it to Calais. And we get into the ferry terminal and we all get off and pile in by foot into the customs and say hello to these English people and wave our passports and we all get, get through and back onto the coach and we go up and we can see the ferry. And he takes a wrong turn and somehow we end up outside the ferry terminal. So we go around Calais a bit more and eventually manage to get back into the ferry terminal, but of course we have to go through customs again. So we all get off the coach and get through customs and this poor passport officer is like, I've seen you before. <laughs> Hello. Finally we get, get there and we make it home. But actually all along the way, I recognise how much I quite enjoyed the journey. Some of the views were stunning. I really enjoyed the landscape. Like I say, Serbia is beautiful. Having breakfast at the foot of a mountain in Austria was something else. Never been there before. Absolutely gorgeous. Quite often we can forget to enjoy the journey because all we want to do is get home. Is that not right? Our journey for the UK at the moment is all about the 25th of December. Whether people enjoy Christmas or not, they just look forward to having a day off work, I think, sometimes. There's a reason why people are looking forward to it. It's all about journeys this time of year. Even the month of December. Do you know where December gets its name from? Yeah, 10. It's the Roman... It's the Roman Name for ten, deck. October, November, December, oct, nov, deck, eight, nine, ten. They used to be the eighth, ninth and tenth month of the year and they've moved. So even the month of December has been on a little journey. It's moved. It used to be the tenth month. Advent is what we call this time of year, isn't it? Advent, do you know what it means? It means about an arrival. It means about a coming into view. That's what Advent means. It has an end goal. It's a coming into view. Something is coming. Something is going to happen. But it's more than that, because it shares its root with the word adventure. And again, there's a little reminder there, it's, not just a, it's about the end goal, but we need to appreciate the journey along the way as well. And there's three things that I want to look at this morning. I'm going to look at a few different types of journeys this morning. But there's three things, three aspects of each one we're going to look at. I've got some stuff in my suitcase. I didn't just bring a suitcase. got a few things. What have we got? If I get it open, if the zip hasn't broken. Yeah, I've got a puppet. No, I haven't, no. What have we got here? I've got my camera. Because this is a reminder, we need to appreciate the landscape, don't we? We need to take some pictures or get your binoculars out. Every journey has a landscape. And once we appreciate the landscape, we can appreciate the context of the journey. We can appreciate what we're travelling through. We can appreciate where we're going from and where we're going to. It's always important to appreciate the landscape. So I'm going to look at that on a number of journeys in a minute. I've got something else in here. What's I've got? I've got a signpost. <laughs> Please don't forget me. We've got signposts along the way. Signposts tell us where we're going, tell us how far, tell us the destinations, tell us what's off that road and off that road as well. Signposts are important. So we're going to look at some signposts as well. I'm going to run out of hands in a minute. Be all right. Landscape, signposts. What's the third thing? 
I've got my slippers. Journey's end. Do you recognise these, Mum? Dad's, yeah. If I haven't got any, I'll just walk around in my socks until they wear thin. We have a journey's end as well. There is a reason for where, why we're on this journey. We're heading somewhere. And journey's end. Have I just lost the, in, the innards of Dad's slipper? I think he needs some more for Christmas, doesn't he? Put that over there. We have a journey's end. We have a rest that we're looking forward to. And we're going to look at these three things on a number of different journeys. We're going to look at landscape. We're going to look at signposts. And we're going to look at our journey's end. So, first of all, just for example, Christmas itself. Let's just look at Christmas. Christmas in the UK. We are going to turn to the Bible in a minute, don't forget. It's all right. Christmas, just for example. The landscape of Christmas. What, what is the landscape? What is the context for our United Kingdom or Western Europe Christmas at the moment? It's become quite commercialised, isn't it? I can see you mouthing that very word. It's become very commercialised, hasn't it? It's, it's become something else that it ever used to be. Some people run with it. Some people are happy. Some people embrace that. Some people begrudge it. Sure, some of us do. Some of us don't like Christmas for valid personal reasons, and that's absolutely fine as well. But some people absolutely dive in feet first, don't they? I know people who've been counting down for Christmas since about January. As some of you know her, my friend Nicole. She sends me pictures on Facebook every uh, every few weeks. I think 297 sleeps till Christmas. It's like shut up, leave me alone. Tell me in December. Oh, if in case you're wondering, it's now 12 sleeps till Christmas. Or 37 if you like power naps. <laughs> That's the landscape. But for all of us, I'm sure all of us, are, even if you don't like what Christmas represents or what it now represents in the commercial culture, I'm sure at the very least all of us are looking forward to a day or two off from work maybe, some nice food, a bit of entertainment, or hanging out with people you like. Maybe hanging out with people you don't like. That sometimes happens as well. But I'm sure you're looking forward to a bit of rest. Is that not correct? People are looking forward to a bit of time off. Who's feeling tired? Who's looking forward to a bit of a... Oh, oh yeah, there's a few people. Absolutely. That's the landscape we're in. I'm going to take this off for a minute. That's the landscape we're in. How about signposts? What signposts? What's telling us that Christmas is on the way? Well, we've had decorations and trees in the uh, shops for a good few weeks now. It used to be earlier. I think they put it off a bit later until because Halloween's got bigger. They wait till Halloween's over before the shops then put the decks in the shops themselves, on the shelves, which is quite handy, actually. So it's not been going on too long, but I do think there have been mince pies in Sainsbury's since about September, haven't there? Pretty much. Yeah, absolutely. There's lights in the high streets and in people's homes. I haven't seen owls at night. What are they like this year, Herne Bay? I've only been down there in the daytime. They're all right? They're quite nice? Yeah, a bit of that going on. That's a good little indicator, a good signpost that Christmas is on the way. Advent calendars, of course. Well, it was a good sign that Christmas was on the way. It's a good little countdown. Amy's enjoying her chocolate at the moment. She's also got a Lego one. Yeah, you get a little bit extra, a little bit of Lego, and it makes up this whole scene by the end of Christmas. Very appropriate to the Bible and nativity, of course, but it's all about ice skating or something. Never mind. Uh, who, who enjoys when the Radio Times comes out with its two-week special edition? Yeah, that's always a good indicator. Christmas is here. And you get your highlighters or your felt tips out to circle the ones you're going to record or going to watch. Absolutely. And Secret Santa in the workplace is another good signpost that Christmas is on the way. Secret Santa. You never know what you're going to get or who you're going to have to buy for. Now, Jenny and I are both mostly working from home. We're going to do Secret Santa together. And I can't wait who's going to get mine. I've no idea. Who's it going to be? I don't know. Who's going to get my present? So, those are signposts for the current Christmas culture we have in the UK at the moment. What's our journey's end? 
our slippers, our time of rest that we've been looking forward to. Well, it ends up being big, full, bloated stomachs, doesn't it, normally? Brussels sprouts. Love my Brussels sprouts. Brussels sprouts. Presents, of course. We all like a few presents. Then there's the Queen's Speech. Doctor Who is the, is the, new, is the new Queen's Speech, isn't it? The Doctor Who Christmas Special Edition. The relatives you get to hang out with. Some of them you like. Some of them you not so much. Drew, Drew, looking at me. Thank you. There's always Uncle Bert and his inflammatory political or, or racist remarks, isn't there, around the dinner table. Or Aunt, Aunt Gerda and her very strange cakes. But after that, there's back to work and inevitably normally back to the credit card bills quite often as well, which is an unfortunate downside of it all as well. It's hard trying, when you've got kids trying to keep budgets and resist, I want this and I want that and I want this and I want that. And some people get sucked into it and they have big bills in January, don't they? That tends to be the circle of Christmas because by then it starts all over again. Nicole starts sending me pictures to say it's 362 days till Christmas. Bless her. Bless her. If you're listening, Nicole, bless you. It's over in a flash, and some people are glad it's over. Some people are eager for the next one. Either way, we're not satisfied, are we? <laughs> we're just thank, thank, thankful it's finished while waiting for the next one. The circle of Christmas. Why is it so unsatisfying? Let's look at another journey. Let's look at two people on a journey in Luke chapter 2. Two people we've all heard of called Mary and Joseph. But Mary's already been mentioned during worship this morning. Shortly after that passage we were reading earlier, where Mary goes to see her cousin, this happens in Luke chapter 2. It says here, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. Let's just press pause there for a minute. This is a journey. They've travelled to Bethlehem. And it says, well, the very, very first three words there says, in those days, doesn't it? In those days. What is the context of this journey? We need to understand the landscape, don't we? Where's my camera? We need to understand the landscape of this journey, the context. We need to realise this comes straight after one blank page in your Bibles, just before the book of Matthew, isn't there? Between the Old Testament and the New Testament. There it is. And that one page represents four centuries, 400 years. Why does it represent 400 years? It's known as the 400-year silence. What it's referring to is when God appears to have gone quiet. It's when his prophets have stopped speaking to his people after they've gone home, after their exile. And then there's 400 years where there seems to be nothing before, obviously, the nativity story as we know it. And in hindsight, everybody realises quite how massive it was when that starts and God starts speaking again in a whole new way. That doesn't mean he was completely silent. It's just a way of describing the 400 years, the 400 years of silence. There were holy men. There's a guy called Honey who drew a prayer circle during a time of famine, a holy man, and he stood in it and said, I'm going to pray for rain 
and I'm not going to stop praying, and I'm not going to leave this circle until we get rain. And God answered that prayer. There were some miracles going on. There were, there were prophets. God did, still did speak through people. Uh, in, uh, later on in chapter 2, we come across a lady called Anna, who is a prophetess, who's in the temple. She's 84, 87 years old, 84 years old. She's obviously been prophesying for a long time. She's not called the prophetess, she's called a prophetess. There were clearly people, before Jesus turned up, people who were passing on God's message to the people. There were still prophets. So it's not that God was completely silent as such, but it appears to have gone quiet. There's no broadcasted messages to the nation as a whole. There is no scripture being written, no holy words being passed on. God hasn't gone completely silent, but he seems to have gone quite quiet. Now we have to understand, in this whole season, there are civil upheavals, there are the rise of the Maccabees, there's a bit of a rebellion you hear about amongst the people, and the few decades before Jesus turns up, quite an infamous, infamous uprising. You've got the Romans themselves have turned up, and they've pretty much taken over. There's a whole different setting here, and God appears to have gone quiet. Is he on holiday mode? What's he doing? What I suggest it is, is the calm before the storm. It's a very good way of looking at it. It's the calm before the storm. God knew exactly what he was doing. He was providing a setting, providing a landscape for a certain journey to occur. As with every baby, it starts small. Is that not right? As with each one of you, it started very small at the cellular level. And as with this baby, things start small. We have a young woman and her betrothed, her fiancé. Even before they discover she's pregnant, even before they get spoken to by God to explain the pregnancy. Before that, they're just a couple. Will you marry me? Yes, I will. They've got dreams of a future. It's just a small beginning, humble beginnings. They weren't planning to take over the world. They certainly weren't planning to have the Messiah as a child. <laughs> they were just dreaming of a carpentry business that one day they might be able to pass on to one of their kids. They were dreaming of having their own children. It's just small beginnings. And they had no idea quite what was around the corner. We've got, to put, we've got to put ourselves in the shoes of Mary and Joseph, quite who these people were. They were humble, quiet, small, common folk living in a backwater somewhere. So then what signposts do we get in this landscape? There are some big signposts. They're called prophecies. And there were some prophecies that were given by God through his prophets to the people, to the nation as a whole, some 700 years before. For example, in Isaiah 7, Isaiah chapter 9, there will be a special child coming. And it will be a child who will govern, who will rule, who will rescue. He will be amazing. He is eternal. He is God. He is wonderful. He is the Prince of Peace. This child will come. That was prophesied 700 years before, and they're still waiting. God's people are still waiting and they think God's gone quiet. There's another one, Micah 5, even talks about where he will be born. And it names the place by name Bethlehem. God's people have been told centuries before that God himself is going to rock up in a place called Bethlehem one day. And they're holding that and they're waiting. There's a good signpost. But then we get the 400 years silence and God appears to be on holiday mode. Then what happens? Luke chapter 1. An angel appears to Zechariah. 
and tells him, this is, uh, he's married to Mary's cousin, says, you're going to have a very special child who's going to pave the way for an even more special child. He's going to pave the way for the Messiah, the one you're waiting for. Then a bit further on in Luke chapter 1, verse 26. Let's just read from there, just for a moment. To this humble girl with small dreams of just a family life with her husband. This is what happens. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her. I mean, just, he, he just, if an angel comes to you, what are you going to do? What are you going to think? How was she feeling? I'd have fallen flat on my face. And he came to her and he speaks to her and he said, Greetings, O favoured one. <laughs> The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this one might be. So an angel hasn't just turned up to her and he hasn't just spoken to her. He's called her, O favoured one. This is massive. And this is completely, out, for her, completely out of the blue. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. So he knows her name. For you have found favour with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Just carry that moment. Mary being told by an angel that by Holy Spirit's power she's going to carry a child without the benefit of a man and this child will be God. How must she be feeling? This is huge. And then an angel also speaks to her betrothed uh, Joseph in a dream to put his mind at rest. Because if and when he discovers she's pregnant, he's going to come up with all sorts of reasons how that happened. <laughs> but an angel puts his mind at rest and explains, no, this is from God. This is not the usual way of people who cheat, etc., etc. This is something else entirely. This is a virgin birth. This is God. Imagine how he felt. These are very clear signposts in a seemingly wasteland, 400 years silence in that landscape. Something is happening. And so we get the journey's end. We get this place of rest. The thing they've been waiting for, this baby turns up. The baby arrives. Luke chapter 2, just move forward a chapter again, back to where we were. And we're going to carry on from where we pressed pause, from verse 7. Here comes the baby. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. Still small beginnings, isn't it? And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Saviour, who is Christ the Lord. 
And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude, get this, a multitude of the heavenly host (laughs) praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Small beginnings are suddenly not so small anymore. There's a multitude of heavenly hosts in the sky praising this baby that has just turned up. Out of the calm comes a storm. Out of 400 years of silence, God is speaking very clearly, very loudly. These promises from Isaiah and Micah and elsewhere, these promises have been in labour. They've been pregnant for centuries. And now they've come to birth. They are angels couriering messages to individuals. And there are angels announcing good news widely and loudly to common folk. This is massive. The landscape must have felt somewhat of a wasteland. Where is God? Now and again, he gives us a little tidbit of something, but nothing like it used to be. Has he lost interest in us? Must have felt like that. And there were signposts. Those signposts must have felt quite distant. Yeah, but that was 700 years ago, and maybe we got it wrong. I'm sure some people thought that. Maybe we wrote it down wrong, or maybe those prophets heard wrong. Or they were right, but 700 years later, we still haven't seen anything. How much longer are we going to have to wait? And yet all of a sudden, to a chosen few, God shows up. And what begins is a tsunami of grace. What begins is this great tidal wave of greater things to come that affect people from then on, including you and me. Out of the calm comes a storm. That's why I want to look at our journeys. See, that event's ripples are still ongoing. It hasn't stopped. See, Christmas as we know it in this country now is actually based around a pagan date. It's just a a date we use. We could happily celebrate the virgin birth in September or May. I don't care when we celebrate it. It's just a good opportunity to celebrate it when everybody else is doing it. It's an easier way for us to pass on the message of the good news and the truth behind it. It's a pagan date, but it doesn't matter. It's a date. As long as we do make a point regularly of celebrating, reflecting, and reminding ourselves quite what happened. Because that event is so significant. Because without a virgin birth, if that child was born without, by a virgin birth, we just had a man on a cross who can't stand in God's place. And if he didn't come through a woman, we'd just have a God on a cross who can't stand in our place. And yet through a virgin birth, we have a God-man who can stand in our place before a holy God and represent us. Isn't that amazing? Without the virgin birth, we couldn't have the cross as we know it. We couldn't have a cross with power. We couldn't have a resurrection that does what it does. Without the virgin birth. It's all part of the same picture. And so that event 2,000 years ago folds in on time and is still affecting us now. It's more than just a happening. It's more than just a birth. More than just a 9.25am in a maternity ward moment. It's about now as well. So our landscape, what's our landscape in the UK right now? Things have changed. Things have eroded from what 
we would consider Christmas to be about. But we also need to consider that as much as it's 2,000 years later, we're not that different to where Mary and Joseph and their landscape was back then. We might have more technology now. We might have screens everywhere. We might have faster travel. It'd been easier to get to Bethlehem back then, wouldn't it? Jump in a car. But in other ways, things are very similar. In our austere times now, we're not poor, but people in this country are struggling to feed their families. People in this country are striving to make a living. People are struggling to pay bills and getting into debt, sometimes because of mismanagement with money, sometimes because they haven't got enough coming in. These are difficult times when it comes to striving to make a living. It's not a lot different to back then. They were living hand-to-mouth half the time. Back then they had the Romans and there was international fear. Today we have an increasing sense of international fear, don't we? What's occurring on our news and what we're seeing abroad seems to be encroaching this way, more and more relevant to us on the ground here. There's an international fear that is actually then becoming scaremongering and as much as we see some fantastic compassion upon refugees, Mixed in with that, we're seeing other people with complete hatred, racism and xenophobia. Don't let them in. Have nothing to do with them. They might try to blow you up. But it's a child. <laughs> we're seeing a mix. We're seeing a polarisation. We're seeing an international fear and paranoia that's building. That actually, it's a different issue, but would have been similar to what they had then. These Romans are in our country and they've taken over. There's an oppression, isn't there? But also, they had the sense that God had gone quiet. And in many ways, it can feel like that in our country, in our current culture, does it not? But Christian values as we know them are eroding. But also many people are even unsure if he's there in the first place, increasingly. More and more people have come across, and now, yeah, I believe in God, but I, I, I don't know if I'm a Christian or whatever, or, oh yeah, I'm a Christian, but I don't go to church, and this kind of thing. But more and more people have come across now, they're like, God, no idea. Science tells us there isn't, and science increasingly seems to be true, therefore there probably isn't. I hear that over and over and over again. It's happening. In many ways, God seems to have gone quiet. And within that, we strive to live. I don't want to over-egg it, but it's true. When you think about it, we do strive to live. We strive to pay the bills. We strive to fight off sickness. We strive to avoid striving, don't we? Jenny and I have to diarise time off together because otherwise we won't get it. Life will get in and people invites and, and people asking us to help them out with such and such and that's great, all good stuff. But you can end up doing so much of that you get no time to rest. You have to put it in the diary almost, don't you? You can strive to be happy. So many people I know try and work hard to make sure they're happy and it ends up making it worse. Life can get wearisome, can't it? And it's there that we can discover that we can't solve those problems ourselves, can we? We can't solve all the speed bumps and the obstacles along our journey. That is life. Be it relationships or money or whatever it is, health. But quite often, this striving, if we're reflective enough, we recognise it comes from in here. It doesn't come from the outside. It comes from within. It's called sin. It's what the Bible calls it. It's about our self-centred part of us that each of us has 
that turns us away from God, that twists our desires. To desire to be happy is a good thing. To desire love or sex or contentment is a good thing. Those desires aren't wrong. It's where we direct them, where we focus them, where we place them and where we find how we can fulfil them. It can be wrong or can be right. And quite often because of our hearts, they're self-centred and we try and fix the problem over and over again and we end up in places we shouldn't be because we're not fulfilling that need in the right way. That's the landscape we're in. That's not a lot different to 2,000 years ago, actually. Thinking about it, it's pretty much the same. But what signposts do we have along the way on this journey? Journey called life, what signposts do we have? I would suggest that those prophecies I mentioned 700 years prior to Jesus turning up are just as relevant to you and me today because they are written down categorically, historically authenticated documents from centuries before Jesus that specify details about him. There's many more, not just about his birth, but also about his life and about his death. Hundreds of them that are proven to be written before he turned up that he fulfilled. Therefore, that is relevant to you and me today as it was to back then. Does that make sense? But there's also evidence for Jesus Christ the man. He's historically documented more than Alexander the Great. We don't doubt his existence, do we? Yet people I still meet today, Jesus Christ, he was just a myth, wasn't he? Read your books. He was a real guy who did these real things, who said these outrageous statements and proved them with miracles. It's documented outside the Bible. The Bible isn't just a book written by Christians. The Bible is a series of historical documents that are authenticated. Always remember that. But also outside of the Bible, there are other documents that record Christ's existence and the things he said and the things he did. And he did actually die. And he did actually rise again. He did actually rise again. Because when you look at the evidence for his resurrection, it's overwhelming. And anything you think of, anything you think of that would try and disprove the resurrection is easily swiped away. I'm not being dismissive of that. That is absolutely true. If you've got any questions about that, come and find me. This guy, who said he was the son of God, proved he was by fulfilling all those prophecies that he couldn't construe, he couldn't make happen. He, could, he as a baby, couldn't decide where he was going to be born. And he did actually die again. He did actually die and he did actually rise again for you and for me. Signpost. That's the signpost for you and for me. Now, pointing the way. Signposts today, there are healings that we're seeing increasing across this country that time and time again as a result of prayer. I know people who have had tumours disappear from their heads, heart valves that are the wrong shape, change shape. And we're seeing an increasing, it's a slow increase, it's a slow acceleration. We're starting to see more and more again today. And I'm excited for the future. Because time and time again, doctors can't explain it. We can. He's on the move. He's not gone quiet. It just looks like he has. But behind the scenes, he's at work. More, more signposts. Other signposts inside, of course. That yearning for more. And no matter what we do, outside of Christ, we're never content, are we? Even when you get a pay rise, or you get a bonus at work. 500 quid, Christmas bonus, lovely. If it had been a thousand, cool, could you imagine? We're never happy, are we? And then we start thinking, what if it was five? What would I get if I got given 5,000? If, if I won the lottery, where would I... Just be happy with what you got. 
But we do, don't we? There's this yearning inside for more. And every time we try and fulfill it, and every time we try and feed it, what does it want? More. <laughs> I'm not just talking about money. I am talking about health. I, we, we want better bodies. We want fitter bodies. We want bigger bodies. We want smaller bodies. We want better sex. We want better relationships. We always want more. Even if you're happy with the money you got, there will be something else you want more of. There's a yearning inside that we can't feed. But this is where we discover the journey's end. Because that's where we discover, many of us in this room have now discovered, that a journey's end for us, the answer to this striving and this journeying, is not a place, it's a person. This is when we discover that our journey's end is Christ. And what's wonderful when we discover that is that our journey never ends. It's just that our journey's end is now walking beside us. Because our journey's end with him is eternal. We still have a job to do. You haven't arrived when you become a Christian and you can put your feet up now. You've now got a job to do. You get to roll your sleeves up and join in with what he's doing. You get to join in and enjoy it. Enjoy the journey. Are we there yet? Yes, we are. But no, we're not. Yes, we are in Christ. But no, we're not. Because we get to carry on the journey with him. Our rest is beside us. Matthew chapter 11. When it comes to striving, when it comes to journeying, this is what Jesus says. When I talk about metaphorical journeying. Matthew chapter 11, verse 27. It says, All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all who labour and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And so there we discover, are we there yet? Yes, we are, and now we can carry on walking. He's the answer to all our striving. He's the rest for our wearies, wearied souls. And there we discover something else. That Advent is not about our journeys. Advent is about his journey. Because how could this be possible? It can only be possible because he journeyed to us. We can't save ourselves. We can't solve our problems. Man is very clever. and comes up with all sorts of political, economical, strategic, military, biological answers to all the problems in the world. And have they solved any? No. We think we're so clever. And we still screw it up. We can't solve our problems at the heart, which is where it all starts. He can. If we can't rescue ourselves... How do we get out of the pit? He comes to us. Advent is about the coming into view of Christ. The baby who came, those small beginnings, just then crescendoed into something massive. It's more than just the birth. From that small beginning, he led the perfect life, which again fulfilled many prophecies. 
He lived, lived a perfect life. So when he died on the cross, he was sinless. And yet he chose to take your sin upon his shoulders. And then he rose again to be at the Father's side to carry on interceding on our behalf as we were hearing about earlier. So the landscape is a world consumed by stuff and self. Pretty much sums up our planet, doesn't it? Unable to fix that problem. Signposts along the way, promises from hundreds and hundreds of years prior to when he turned up first time in the flesh. And the brokenness around us. We know it's broken, therefore we know there's an unbrokenness that's possible. Otherwise it wouldn't be broken. Does that make sense? These are signposts for us, aren't they all? But our journey's end is Jesus. He is our rest. He is our rescue. He is our purpose. And he continues to be our friend for the journey forever. You're no longer alone. And you get to carry on the journey, but no longer in a wearied way. We can walk and not faint when we depend on him. And it's all because he journeyed to us. Let me just pray.